Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. On my orders, coalition forces have begun striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability to wage war. These are opening stages of what will be a broad and concerted campaign. More than 35 countries are giving crucial support, from the use of naval and air bases, to help with intelligence and logistics, to the deployment of combat units. Every nation in this coalition has chosen to bear the duty and share the honor of serving in our common defense. To all the men and women of the United States Armed Forces now in the Middle East, the peace of a troubled world and the hopes of an oppressed people now depend on you. That trust is well placed. The enemies you confront will come to know your skill and bravery. The people you liberate will witness the honorable and decent spirit of the American military. In this conflict, America faces an enemy who has no regard for conventions of war or rules of morality. Saddam Hussein has placed Iraqi troops and equipment in civilian areas attempting to use innocent men, women, and children as shields for his own military, a final atrocity against his people. I want Americans and all the world to know that coalition forces will make every effort to spare innocent civilians from harm. A campaign on the harsh terrain of a nation as large as California could be longer and more difficult than some predict and helping Iraqis achieve a united, stable, and free country will require our sustained commitment. We come to Iraq with respect for its citizens, for their great civilization, and for the religious faiths they practice. We have no ambition in Iraq except to remove a threat and restore control of that country to its own people. I know that the families of our military are praying that all those who serve will return safely and soon. Millions of Americans are praying with you for the safety of your loved ones and for the protection of the innocent. For your sacrifice, you have the gratitude and respect of the American people. And you can know that our forces will be coming home as soon as their work is done. Our nation enters this conflict reluctantly Yet our purpose is sure. The people of the United States and our friends and allies will not live at the mercy of an outlaw regime that threatens the peace with weapons of mass murder. We will meet that threat now with our Army, Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard, and Marines so that we do not have to meet it later with armies of firefighters and police and doctors on the streets of our cities. Now that conflict has come, the only way to limit its duration is to apply decisive force. And I assure you,
This will not be a campaign of half measures, and we will accept no outcome but victory. My fellow citizens, the dangers to our country and the world will be overcome. We will pass through this time of peril and carry on the work of peace. We will defend our freedom. We will bring freedom to others, and we will prevail. May God bless our country and all who defend her. Welcome to the underworld. I love America. It's been my home all my life. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Access America. This is your history. This is your this country. Is your this, country. Is this is America. Join us in listening to some of history's America's best speeches. Created by Jarcodes Productions. Go back in time, back with, in us time with us right now, right now. Public, public Access, Access America. America. Why did the United States go to war against Iraq in 2003? The decision was controversial at the time and remains so today, but the reason was clear. Saddam Hussein, the brutal dictator of Iraq for 35 years, was the central threat to peace in the Middle East. With that threat removed, the Bush administration believed the establishment of a functioning democracy in Iraq would encourage the growth of democracy elsewhere in the Arab world. As democracy spread, terrorism would retreat. But it is on the blood-stained life and career of Saddam Hussein that we need to concentrate in order better to understand why the United States felt forced to act in 2003. We begin with the Iran-Iraq War, which Saddam started in 1980 and which lasted until 1988. One million people died in the course of the decade-long struggle. And during that war, Weapons of mass destruction, or WMD, especially poison gas, were used on a regular basis by both sides. Once his war with Iran ended, instead of building up his shattered nation, Saddam decided to embark on another lunatic adventure. In 1990, he tried to grab 19% of the world's oil supply by invading Kuwait. His brief annexation of Kuwait proved to be another disaster. The mother of all battles, as Saddam called it, turned out to be a three-week rout, his Iraqi army utterly defeated by a US-led coalition. But rather than trying Saddam as a war criminal, America and the West allowed him to stay in power. This appeasement eventually led Saddam, once again, to draw entirely the wrong conclusion and to his making yet another colossal mistake. He arrogantly believed that his Iraqi army might actually defeat the United States in a second encounter. 
His trump card, he believed, or at least attempted to make the world believe, was his possession of WMD, large quantities of poison gas and, if only in his imagination, a rapidly progressing nuclear weapons development program. There was no reason to doubt that he had WMD, as he'd used poison gas in his war against Iran. No one, not the Germans, not the Russians, not the British, had any doubts about this. Looking back at the 12 years between the Gulf War and the Iraq War, Saddam might have been able to re-establish international credibility by complying with the 16 reasonable UN resolutions passed between November 1990 and December 1999. These resolutions simply required Saddam to, among other things, destroy all of his ballistic missiles with a range greater than 150 kilometers, stop support for terrorism internationally and prevent terrorist organizations from operating within Iraq and bear financial liability for damage from the Gulf War. But Saddam spent the 1990s defying and mocking America and Britain in every possible way. He attempted to shoot down Royal Air Force and US Air Force planes over the no-fly zones created to prevent him from mass slaughtering his own citizens. He corruptly profited from the UN oil for food scandal while Iraqi children starved to death. He offered $25,000 to the families of every Palestinian suicide bomber. He harbored many of the world's leading terrorists and he expelled UN weapons inspectors. By the time of the terrorist attack on the United States of 9-11, something for which Saddam was not responsible for or ever blamed for, any war against terror that did not involve toppling this brutal dictator, who might supply WMD to terrorists for future attacks, would have been absurd. Still, had he backed down and accepted repeated United Nations resolutions, especially those requiring him to prove he had destroyed his stockpiles of WMD and had no nuclear weapons development program, there would have been no US action. Instead, he only became more bellicose. That's why some leading Democrats, such as Senators Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, and John Kerry, voted to authorize the second Iraq war. Only later did they recant their decisions after claiming that they'd been lied to by the administration. But there'd been no need for the Bush administration to lie. Its assessment of the threat that Saddam posed concurred with that of the Clinton administration as well as with numerous European intelligence services. And the road to a democratic Middle East had to begin in Iraq. A vicious, mass-murdering despot who had convinced the world that he had WMD and would use them stood in the way. In the spring of 2003, that was obvious both to Republicans and many Democrats, as well as to the leadership of Britain and dozens of other nations. That's why President Bush took America to war against Iraq. Thursday, March 20, D-Day for the American forces. The war's been on for 12 hours. The 1st Marine Expeditionary Corps is headed for Baghdad. It's an army in itself. 45,000 Marines and all their equipment. Thousands of trucks barreling down Highway 1. The Humvee was number 603795. Four men, an all-American crew thrown into their president's war. First, Iraqi exile Mohammed Arkawazi, 38 years old, recruited as an interpreter out of his adopted Detroit. Why did you leave Iraq? Well, I have uh, 
more problem with the government. They can't make my life normal with everybody, like everybody. Sometimes go to jail and come back, and all the time question where you go, where you come in. Like this, it's difficult life to Iraq. Only the life for uh, groups are down. The other people, uh, nothing. Finally, finally, here I am in my country. Let's see my country. The Jeep's driver is Polish-American Sergeant Mirek Andrzejczak, 24. A Marine Reservist called up a few months ago. Mirek didn't want to come to Iraq. He wanted just to stay with his marketing studies in California. When did you join the Marines? I was young and stupid. Uh, I think I joined for the adventure, see the world. Then see as much as I wanted to, though. What's your job here in the convoy? Security. I mean, you seem very alert. Look at the other guys over there, like, sitting around on the side over there. I guess they don't care about going back home as much as I do. The real warrior in this crew is Gunny Sergeant Ed Maximian, Filipino-American, 18 years in the Corps, and he's been part of every conflict of his time. In civilian life, he's an L.A. cop, but his job here is to be Muhammad's bodyguard, a mission he wasn't anxious to accept. Well, first I was kind of hesitant, you know, I mean, I know uh, he fought during the Gulf War, and I was there too. And uh, I don't know where his loyalty is, you know, just, just his country or uh, basically a friend of, of uh, USA. The Humvee's commander is Major Mark Stainbrook, 34. American, he's an LAPD sergeant, and his everyday war is usually against South Central's gangs. Happy birthday, honey. I wish I was there to make it special. For the major, this was not the best time to be called back to active duty. That's kisses. Bye. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? And we got this, uh, actually this was taken Maybe a couple months before we got married at a friend's wedding. Mm -hmm. Two days after I got here, she told me she was pregnant. I mean, I want to make it back. I'm, I'm, I miss, I really wanted to go through all the experiences she's going through in pregnancy, you know. Thought it'd make us draw us together closer as a couple. So I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back at some point before they have the baby. This war is robbing you a little bit of all kinds of things that you could have back home. Sergeant Andre, Gunny Max, and Major Stainbrook make up a civil affairs team. Their job? Take care of the Iraqi populations encountered by the land troops. Basically, smooth things out with the locals. Third day of the war, the first firefight stops the convoy. Major Stainbrook can't locate two of his men. Gunny Max and Sergeant Andre are missing. Gunny Max, bring it in! You're not going to go take care of it? You're going to go check it out or not? No, I mean, that's not our role. We're actually moving the, uh, the logistics up there about 700 meters forward. It's more important to get the fighting guys, the gas, to fight than us trying to take care of them. Gunny! Where'd they go? They, they went fighting. 
No, they did not. Yes, they did. They ran over there yes. and they're they're shooting. Yes. Our guys. I know our guys aren't shooting. Big cannon. Other guys, big. I see two people. I don't know where the guy. This is bad news for the major. Now he'll have to move up to the front to get his men back. Ready, Mac. They went all the way down there. Ready, Mac. Are you sure they went this way? Yeah, I saw them running and firing. Gunny! Why are they all the way out there? Who's going out there? I have no clue about it. They were just up here. They uh, tried to shoot me, huh? Bring it in this way! Get the fuck back in here! the vehicle. Hello? Hello? Take it into the road, into the vehicle. Hey! Bring it in! Where is he? Second to the left, sir. You guys fucking nuts? Sweeping left from what? Hey, we said they seen somebody sticking their head out in and out of the freaking fighting or something. So Gany Max decided to check it out. You won't fucking ever go anywhere like that without fucking going. You don't leave him by yourself, sir. Stick parallel of the road and go back to the vehicle. The clash doesn't last long. The Marines get the upper hand right away. As soon as the area is secured, the team finds its first Iraqi bodies. Hey, here's a... It's difficult for you, uh, Mohammed, to see this? I don't like to see dead Iraqis. I just want to get rid of this tyrant in Iraq. Because in this country, it's always the poor people who get killed. So, Gani, is this the, uh, is this the first dead you see in this war? For this war, yes. Well, no, uh, this is my uh, third one. There were like two of them uh, close by the road. Uh, I'm just solemn because, you know, I respect the dead. They put up a good fight. I'm a soldier myself, I'm a Marine myself, and I respect them as a fellow soldier. These Iraqi soldiers be believe that Saddam Hussein would be, you know, bring them glory, bring change in their uh, government, but I just pity their family, though. Is it any different than seeing a dead body in Los Angeles? Yeah, it's in Iraq, <laughs> but no, it's pretty much the same. It's the kind of stuff I see all the time, except it's a concrete street <laughs> with some cars around. And it's a gangbanger, other than that. Okay, try and come down here. Day four, the convoy's at a standstill. A few kilometers ahead, fierce fighting around the city of Al Nazaria. This gives the guys in the Jeep time to regroup and figure out where they can be the most useful. We have a 
a couple days to rest, reorganize. I want the, this vehicle cleaned, and I want it uh, reorganized. Clean this area up. I want all the trash out of our area. I want to know where the sanitation area is for us, where we can, you know, take care of business. Um, weapons cleaning today. Um, at some point, I would suggest, you know, getting some water. Not a lot, but to wash socks out at the minimum, maybe T-shirts. Um, and do a little laundry. I think the priority is help help mortuary affairs get those bodies cleaned up. They may need Akawazi's help to translate documents and make sure they're buried properly. Mortuary affairs, the military's undertakers. Usually they see to the proper burial of U.S. personnel killed in action. But since there aren't any, they are assigned to take care of the Iraqi dead from yesterday's battle. It's the first time they bury Muslims, and they have requested Muhammad's help to follow the proper Islamic rites. No, he's my translator. He doesn't go anywhere until. Is that this is enough for uh, 30 people? This more. This enough for 60 people. Yes. Right. That's what that's okay. we were. This is enough. But don't make it more. the most important thing is that the heads must point toward Mecca. What are you doing, Muhammad? I'm calling a friend back in the States. I know the prayer I'm supposed to say for the dead, it's something like, may God keep their souls, but I just want to make sure. Hey, I'm sorry to call so late, but I need to talk to you about something. Uh, there's a group of soldiers that we want to bury. There are about 150 of them. We want to bury them all together in a large hole, but first we'll bury about 35 of them. I know that the first prayer I'm supposed to say is God the merciful. That's right, huh? But what do I need to do next? Okay, and then what should I do? So then I have to say, praise be God? Three times should I say it? Okay, only once. Got it. Yeah, just the name. Hey, address, if you could get name, address. Of course you have name and address. I take all there, I write here or there. No, you got to do uh, it. Right here, because I have to keep it with the remains themselves. You got I think you got a paper. When he joined the military, Mohammed never imagined that one day he'd be called upon to translate Iraqi IDs. It's a sad homecoming. Twenty-four. Twenty-four, huh? And they're still uh, trying to get one. This officer. Parkova. You can't show me face this. Gani, you can't show me face this. Why? From Males. my Males. city. All um, same my city. Are you sure? Yes. The first one, and this again. Well, let me just finish this one. Let me just finish this one. Let me just finish this All one. All this not from 
from uh, this area. From Diala, bring it here. I got a glove, so you want me to do it? Yeah. Just take a slight rotation of it. a.m. The convoy's waking up. Just like back home, before hitting the streets, the major listens to the radio for the latest news. And this morning, the news isn't good. The BBC is reporting that U.S. troops are bogged down and that the Arab street is angry. The news doesn't sound so good. Does that bother you? No, it doesn't bother me. Um, it makes me frustrated because of the ignorance of between what's being reported on the news and what I see on a daily basis. If they don't like Saddam Hussein and the people here don't want what I've met so far don't like Saddam Hussein, then uh, you know, isn't what we're doing good? And why are we being protested in the Arab world? But I think it's interesting if they pro if they weren't lived in Iraq and they protested, they'd be buried alive or shot or their families would be killed. You know? And I wonder if they think about that. Gunny doesn't care much about the news. The only thing he needs to feel at home in the desert is a cup of coffee and his M16. And I said, I love this crap. It's like camping to me. <laughs> Ten years ago, you were not the same. Yeah, because, you know, I was 33 years old then. I could carry a pack and everything, 150 pounds. But now I could feel the pain in my back, pain in my shoulder. The last time it was just, you know, an overnight sleep and a Tylenol and it's gone. Now, you know, I'm old. I'm 45 years old. I'll just keep on going till, till my knee gives up, my eye gives up, or I give up. You know, I think I'll die as a Marine. I think, you know. The supply truck that everyone's been waiting for has finally come in. Today's special, vacuum-packed burgers and macaroni and cheese. 2,500 calories per man per day. Now the name of the game is to stock up, and that's Andre's job. Another wonderful day in the neighborhood. 
So, what, what's happening here, Sergeant? Uh, we finally got food after like three or four days of not getting any. Supplies run out, so they find inside to bring some of them. It's limited number, so they're gonna start just handing out for one day, I guess. I'm hoping. So, everyone's really hungry, right? I believe so. For how many people? Yes. Uh, there's 12 of them. 12? Hey, got three. I'm gonna have to exaggerate the shoot a little bit to get food for my friends at the media. Wait, what? Sorry. I'm gonna have to exaggerate the shoot a little bit. Does it go to the individual Marines? I see Marines walking around with two boxes of MREs. Are they special? What about all the Marines that are, that are in the holes right now? Are they gonna fucking eat? I don't think it should be going to all these fucking Marines. Who told you to fucking just give out and chow? We need to find out who's, who's, you know, this is a fucking goat rope. We need to find out who's going to be in charge and start handing out this challenge to the leaders. Stop handing out to these individual Marines. It's not a good place to keep pissing people off. You don't screw around with someone who's hungry, basically. Not passing any right now. It just adds up to more to the tension of being in the middle of nowhere, being getting shot at night, not knowing what to expect next. You can see mail block to the right. Getting people being killed, all the people dying. I'm getting sucked, man. Hey, Petey, have you heard about this new podcast, Public Access America? You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, and even the Stitcher Smart Radio app. It's so cool. Not good, not. But are you a German spy? Because that sounds like technology. It's like that new thing, the radio, or a newspaper for your ears. You can even follow their production company, Jar Codes, on Twitter or Facebook and find all new episodes posted every day. Oh, that's cool. I don't care nothing about no planes, but I gotta hear the latest episode of Public Access America now. Oh, watch the bomb. You can even go to their YouTube channel at Public Access America and find great videos from at night, the convoy is in total darkness. Absolutely no light allowed. Disobey and you'll be the target of an Iraqi sniper. Every Marine is equipped with night vision goggles. Tonight's guard duty goes to a 20-year-old. You seem to be pretty cool about the whole thing. Yeah, but um, I also come from, a, uh, I'm a third generation Marine. My grandfather was in uh, World War II and Korea War. My uh, father was in Vietnam, and now here I am. <laughs> so it's kind of destiny, I guess you could call it. So where's home? Where's home? Um, my parents have a farm in uh, Baghdad, Kentucky. It's an organic farm. No way. You come from a place called Baghdad? When everybody was, you know, everybody out here is all like, oh, we're going to Baghdad, you know. And I, I'll joke around. I'm like, I'm going home. You know? <laughs> I'm going towards my home. You know, I'm just going to kick out of it because I'm from Baghdad, Kentucky. That is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. Not every Marine is that cool. The closer we get to Baghdad, the more frequent the gas alerts become. In the Humvee, no one can get more than four hours of sleep at a time, and it's getting on the Major's nerves. It's fucking ridiculous. Why? Well, because there's no indication that there's any attack from gas. First of all, the Iraqis primarily means of, of deploying gases from artillery. 
I didn't hear any artillery. I didn't see any artillery. You know, what it is is you have all these units up here that haven't been up this close to the to the front lines, and I think they see some lights and boom boom in the distance and they flip out. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> Day ten. The convoy is finally out of the desert. Welcome to Oasis Land. Now it's time for the Marines to deal with the locals. The Major and his crew are ordered to go and make first contact with the villagers. To avoid civilian casualties and protect themselves from suicide bombers, they have to make contact with local Bedouins and warn them not to come near the convoy. Anybody home? After the clash of weapons comes the clash of cultures. Knock on the door or something. Huh? I thought I saw somebody around the back here though. Uh, when we first, hold on. Hey, little chicken. Hello. Don't don't be afraid. Don't leave. Don't be afraid. What's happening, my sister? Oh, I know the children, but the lady seems afraid too. Like we'd like to talk to the man. I mean, we're yes. Tell me, sister, what is happening here? You know, we came here with the Americans to help you. Please go and get your husband, so we can tell you what's going on. We're here to tell you that you shouldn't get close to the convoy. Why aren't you saying anything? Please send your son to get your husband. We need to talk to him. Despite Mohammed's best efforts, the woman won't say a word. The major and his team will have to try their luck a little further. How many families are there? Families? Uh, we're four. Uh, no, two. I want to know how many men, how many women, how many children. Yeah, there are three families. You want to know how many of each? Thirty. How many of each? Ten men, ten women? We know that you're 30, but how many men, how many women, how many children? Men and women, half and half. Is that 15 men and 15 women? Yep. And the children, did you count the men? Well, there's one right here. So you counted the children with the adults? Yes, because this one is taller than the other children. Please, please try to help me, my friend. I just want to know how many you are. The American only wants to know to help you. Okay, so over there, there are three of them. And here, how many are you? Three, is that right? That's six. And over there, there are four others. That's ten now. He's not telling me as they're talking. He's, he's not really a well-trained interpreter. But he's, he's doing a good job. And in my family, we're four. That's ten. That's fourteen now. And there's another six over there. That's twenty. Yeah, that's what I said, twenty. 
But the 20 I'm talking about are all adults, but we also have two children. 20 uh, old guy like him. 20. About 20 adults. After 45 minutes of wrangling in the sweltering heat, that's the only number the major will get. Regard for everybody, all the guys. They're, they're happy to see us. They thank you guys for being here. Um, get something to drink because I know it's tiring interpreting. Just me? Yeah, just one little thing. Is you have to, when they speak, you can't keep going back and forth. You have to tell me. Yes, I know. You have to tell me so I can talk through yes, you. Yes, I know. Okay. But I know it's hard. We'll get better. You did a good job. No, no you did a good job. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll get better. I'm ready for this job, my friend. We'll get better with age. Thank you. All right, let's go head off the camels. It's really to work with this major. I warned him when we were in Kuwait. That's not the way to behave with my people. Every time he sees civilians, he wants to fix everything in one day. And it annoys me. I'm in Iraqi. I don't have the temperament for this kind of thing. I came here for my country, my family, my friends, not for the American army or anybody's army. Day 15. The convoy is south of Kerbala, last big city before Baghdad. Nothing stops a 60-ton Abrams tank. The Iraqi lines have just collapsed. No one knows why, but the Major and his team get orders to restart an Iraqi army truck that was put out of action in yesterday's fighting. Well, we just done it up on us. That's a nice bag. Cool bag. Yeah. I like that. Major? Are we here to commandeer this vehicle? Yes. Why, why would we need it? I mean, doesn't the American military have all it needs, though? No, we can always use more bed space. What's happening, Mohammed? Hey, Alzana. Yeah. Hello. I think they were on the road with their truck. And you can see a helicopter fired at them. They're all dead over there. Just soldiers, simple soldiers. I think they've been there for two days. What does that stand for, Gunny? USMC. What is that? US United States Marine Corps. But wouldn't you be afraid to travel in this vehicle if you had to? Hey, comes with a job. For his part, Mohammed would rather take care of the dead than tend to a truck. I'm sure if you see that people died like this in the street, they make a big problem with the American army. But better making some good, put it somewhere. We can't do anything for it right now. I tell you. I understand what you're saying, but also understand we can't do anything for them right now. I know, but you can't speak with big major somebody, you know? I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Mohammed can take much more of this, you know? He's, he's very affected by the, by the people and so on and so forth. Yeah, I tell the car. That's, that's not my call. He knows uh, where he's going. This is war. 
You could see anything. Death, destruction, mutilation. You know, no matter. For all ages, kids, adults, soldiers, civilians. Look, my friend, you have time for fix the car, but you don't have time for fix yeah, the Yeah, as people. I said, I cannot be thinking, oh, dead, I oh, can No, can't. Yeah. I've got a mission. I've got to stay see. focused with this Baghdad. Same thing with you. You are part of it. I know, I know you are part of it. Nobody twisted your arm when you joined FIF. You know, you know what war is. I know what war. I know. I yeah. know what the war. He kill everybody. Uh, uh, this war, you know. Stay focused, my friend. Happy. A day wasted. The truck won't start. Only 60 kilometers to the capital. In preparation for the Battle of Baghdad, the Marines decide to reactivate an airstrip. The runway's in good shape, but at one end of it, there's a village in the way. The Major and his men had scouted the place yesterday, and everyone is very happy to see them back. To thank their liberators, the village chief orders out the finest carpets, a traditional Iraqi sign of respect. But no one here yet knows that the Americans have come to negotiate their eviction. No, that's good. I'm good. Thank you. Shukran. Not at all, not at all, not at all. Oh, please, please. Mm. Smoking, please. Yes. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> kind of difficult to tell them, you know, hey, we need to yes. move. No, no, give it to me. Give it. give it. No, 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 give it to me. Listen, no. No, I don't want to be waited on. Okay, if you don't give it, I won't wash. No, I don't want you to do this. Just give it to me. It's not the right thing to do. Do I look like a tyrant? Am I a bath party member? This is your family, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to be waited on. Look at my arms. Are they broken? You can see that our soldiers are clearing the runway. And uh, they're making room because we're going to have big planes landing here, big, big cargo planes. They're going to be building military houses here. And uh, we're concerned for your safety because the planes will be landing right here. It's going to be dangerous for you if you stay here. Understood. But before we go any further, you should know that we don't have much money. Yeah, don't worry about that. We'll help you with it. We basically want to rent your property. How much does he think it would be to, to move there and rent the land there? Well, as you know, the rent has gone up and moving is more expensive nowadays. And the slightest house to rent is at least $150. Yesterday he speak uh, like six or seven, but he gave him one thousand. Okay. You know. So he's saying six or seven. You like this? We will write a contract today, and we will pay you today. No. Listen, he's going to give you a piece of paper. He's going to keep one in his house, and you keep one in your house. You just write your name and your address on it. You sign, and you'll have your money in your hand, my friend. 
It's a deal. Thanks to a little help from Mohammed, the village chief pockets $2,500, and he'll spend the rest of the war elsewhere. For the next three months, the village will be American. What I also want to tell him yeah. is that, in a way, because he's letting the military use his land, he's helping win the war. I mean, they're helping, with, helping win the war, you know? Half an hour later, two trucks are ready to move out the 47 villages. In an hour, the town is empty. This one you see, they're going to call him Bush, to name him after the men who will liberate Iraq. And this one we'll call him Blair. Day 20. We are less than 10 kilometers from Baghdad. The bridges around the Iraqi capital have been blown up. The convoy slows down. And the trucks cross the Diyala River on a makeshift bridge put together by the engineers. The civilian population that had fled the fighting in the city wants to use the bridge too. But the closer they get to Baghdad, the less the Americans trust the Iraqis. Mohammed is called in to calm things down and restore order. My friends, please stand back. You can't come here. All of you, listen to me. They won't let you cross. The war is still going on. So just wait here. Stay put. Just below the new bridge, those who have the strength to fight the current swim across. They're afraid of us. They think that we are fedayeen, that we carry bombs on us. But we're only ordinary citizens. Baby, baby, Baghdad. You go to swim to Baghdad? What else can I do? What else? Tell me. How does it feel to be in Baghdad? Is this Baghdad? It's a good feeling, man. It's obviously It's a good feeling. It's obvious we're doing the right thing. People seem to like us. Nobody's throwing rocks at us or anything like that, you know. So it's a good sign. Figure the next couple of days, maybe everything on the world's up. Presidential policies, you know. See how Hussein lives or used to live. The convoy heads for the outskirts of Baghdad. The city is about to fall into the hands of the Americans. Liberated Baghdad belongs to the looters. A thieves market springs up along every road. The moment of victory is also the time to ransack. Tractors, tankers, refrigerators, generators, everything's for sale in the gutted city. For our two LA cops, the situation is unacceptable. 
Too bad for the boys who stole the fire truck. Who's gonna put out the fire? And they're not firemen. I want to drop Holly to home. I tell him this is not raisin, you are liar. Yeah. Write down all their names and where they're from. I'm not I give him the ID, sir? No. No, we're gonna we're gonna take him down to the MP compound. Shut up and keep on walking. We're wasting time with all this looting, all these problems. We have other things to do now that Saddam is gone. Keep on walking, don't look at me. I'm going to talk, I want to talk to the MP guy, the senior MP, and have him detained um, for looting. We're not from around here. We're from a village where there is no more water. All our water tanks are empty. And we just wanted this truck to bring some water over there. It's not really just for us, it's for all our families. You go to jail for a couple of days. Swear, right? I don't care I, if he swears. He yeah, can't I know, I know you make trucks. wrong. I tell him you make wrong. Well, they're going to go to jail for a couple days. Couple days. Yeah. yeah. Listen, the American, yeah. he wants to put you in jail. But don't worry, jail is just a few barbed wires and you'll get to sleep for a couple days. It's just two days so you understand that what you've done is bad. You can't just steal trucks like that. To tell them, we want to rebuild Iraq. But if everyone steals everything, we're not going to be able to do that. We're here to bring security for Iraq and the Iraqis. If you do these kind of things, we'll never get to start rebuilding. A little further on, workers from a collective farm come to ask the major for help. If you come, they'll be frightened and they'll leave. This used to be a chicken and fish farm, but it took only a few hours for the looters to strip it bare. The Iraqi police fled the U.S. advance, so the population is counting on the Marines to restore order. You have to guarantee our protection. Since you've been in Iraq, the government has crumbled, and it's your responsibility now. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. But what I'm saying is, yes, they also, just like they've been doing at the gas stations, they have to provide some of their own security. These are just looters. The regime has changed. Yeah, but we can't do everything in one day. But there's no more safety. It's chaos. What you do is, what you do is, you get about six guys, six young guys, and you get sticks about that big, and they carry the sticks. 
And, and if people like this come, they give a couple of wax to some people. <laughs> he says we just have to hit them with sticks. Is this, is this how you do it in Iraq? You know? You know, like, like this. didn't do this thing. But we lost the security. And then when I come, take the collection and hide it. It's a bigger problem. You can't push with yeah, Saddam. Yeah, go ahead. Give him a lot, whack him around or something. But if Saddam's people are here, uh, tell us, and if they have guns, we'll get them. Hey, Marines, let's go. There is a project for water supply. You know, I didn't say become a vigilante, I said protect your own property. You know, just like in the United States, you have the right to protect your property if someone breaks into your house. They have the same rights. And unfortunately, it'll probably leave a bad taste in some of their mouths, you know, because they, they think we have the ability to do everything, but we don't. This guy Day 23, Baghdad now belongs to the Americans. But no one is really sure who's in charge, the looters or the Marines. There's no water, no electricity, no food. For the Americans, the battle for the day after has already begun. The Major has his part to play. He's been made Chief of Police of Baghdad. A simple Major will be giving orders to the top brass of Baghdad's finest. It's what you get for winning. It's a prize he could do without. The first group of former Baghdad police has resurfaced. The major has made his shopping list. To start with, he needs 160 cops. Hey, Zaid, take him outside the gate. Is this crazier than you thought it would be? No, it's about right. Did you expect so many police officers to show up? Um, yeah, I expected more than the 166 I asked for. In the city, the rumor that the Americans are hiring has spread like wildfire. More than 2,000 candidates stormed the police academy. The major is swamped. to get this under control. Time? Yeah. How long to get this under control? Long time. Hey, hey, you know what we're going to do? Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to just leave. You want to? Yeah, we're going to leave people out across the street. We'll let them work it out themselves. American forces finally caught up with Saddam Hussein today. He was hiding in a crawl space, a spider hole, the military called it, underneath the floor of a small shack outside his hometown of Decreet. He was described as disoriented at first and then, as time went by, unrepentant and defiant. After 10 months hunting him, in the end, the man who has gone from American ally to American nemesis surrendered without a fight. When the news of his capture was first broadcast, there was a quick celebration in the streets of many Iraqi cities and certainly in the administrative offices of the Bush administration and the American government. This is a real victory for U.S. forces in Iraq and for President Bush. In the history of Iraq, a dark and painful era is over. A hopeful day has arrived. All Iraqis can now come together and reject violence and build a new Iraq. 
Tonight on this broadcast, we'll report on what the U.S. and Iraqis have in store for Hussein, what his capture may mean to the struggle to create a new government in Iraq, and whether American soldiers in Iraq and Iraqis are now safer. We begin with the capture. Here's ABC's Martha Raddatz. Saddam Hussein was hiding in a narrow dirt hole with only a pistol at his side when U.S. soldiers moved in. There were no injuries, and in fact, not a single shot was fired. This mission began 10 days ago, with U.S. Special Forces aggressively tracking the former Iraqi leader, going after members of families in Tikrit who were suspected of having ties to Saddam Hussein. We brought in about five to 10 members of these families who then were able to give us even more information and finally, we got the ultimate information from one of these individuals. That tip came at 10.50 yesterday morning. Reliable information that Saddam Hussein was hiding just 15 miles south of Tikrit. Two likely locations were identified near the town of Adwar. And for operational purposes, these locations were identified as Wolverine 1 and Wolverine 2. By 6 p.m., 600 artillery, cavalry, aviation, and special operations forces from the 1st Brigade Combat Team of the 4th Infantry Division were in position, surrounding the sites. 8 p.m., the combat team began the assault on Wolverine 1 and 2, the two small structures identified by the informant. But they did not find Saddam Hussein. The entire area was then cordoned off and a more intensive search began. Coalition forces subsequently found a suspicious location to the northwest of Wolverine 2. It was a small walled compound with a flimsy metal lean-to cluttered with clothes. At 8.26 p.m., U.S. troops entered the compound and noticed a small camouflaged opening or spider hole a pile of bricks and dirt were pushed aside, and there he was, disheveled, dirty, the man who ruled Iraq for so long. A bit disoriented, obviously, as he came up, uh, but that uh, he, uh, he, 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 was, he was just very much bewildered, and then he was taken away. I think it's rather ironic that he was in a hole in the ground across the river from these great palaces that he's built where he robbed all the money from the Iraqi people. Two others believed to be bodyguards were also arrested at the compound, in addition to 750,000 U.S. dollars, two AK-47 rifles, and a white and orange taxi cab. At 9.15, Saddam Hussein was taken to the Baghdad International Airport. Over the next few hours, he was given a medical checkup and his beard was shaved. He was positively ID'd by other former regime leaders held captive and through physical characteristics. It was not until after 3 p.m. today in Baghdad that the top civilian in Baghdad, Paul Bremer, announced the capture. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. This is a great day in Iraq's history. For decades, hundreds of thousands of you suffered at the hands of this cruel man. But it was the tape of the bearded Saddam Hussein, glassy-eyed and defeated, that brought cheers from the Iraqi reporters in the room. After initially cooperating with U.S. forces, Saddam Hussein is now saying very little 
Members of the Iraqi Governing Council, those who once opposed Saddam Hussein, were allowed a visit with him today. We found him uh, obviously tired and haggard, but he was uh, unrepentant and even defiant.